0: ahoy mates! welcome back to the naked security podcast i am doug ameth kim is out this week but with me as always is paul ducklin paul how do you do today sir
1: i am splendid we're having although it's may which is supposed to be the time for singing Uh, It's winter again, suddenly. It's gone all cold. So I'm actually sitting here with the heating on, on its lowest setting, admittedly. But I
0: can't wait for summer. (laughs) You and I are some 3,000 miles apart, and we're having the same thing happening here. I turn the heat back on. It's either 60 degrees Fahrenheit or it's 30 degrees Fahrenheit, and there's really no in between. So that's what happens. You never know. Yep. You never know. Um, We're going to do some stories today. We're going to do our oh no. And we're going to start off as we always do with some recommendations. Now, my recommendation, I was just going to recommend these things that I'm going to tell you about. But my my actual recommendation is that if you want to engage a group of people in real discussion, and I'm not talking about your namby-pamby politics or religion or gun control, but real discussion, ask everyone how they feel about wind chimes. Or better yet, break out some chimes. I just got some. I've been wanting them for years. We lived in the city for a long time. We finally got a house in the suburbs, so I bought some wind chimes. I just assumed everyone liked them. We had a little barbecue this weekend wherein I severed ties with several friends and family members over their hatred of wind chimes. Like, who hates wind chimes? Yeah, I
1: would have, I would have asked you to sever the ties that bind the little chimes
0: this is unbelievable that's what people were saying they're saying like what do your neighbors think about that i'm like well i just assume they love them i mean who hates wind it's free music from mother nature and it's always a familiar song but it's never the same song twice but people hate them i've just been so disillusioned i just assumed the whole world loved wind chimes but i guess you know not a lot of people have them around here I'm not ready to admit defeat, but I'm, I'm, my eyes have been opened and I'm going to open my mind. If to-
1: you like the way they look, you could put little like rubber, No. Put a little strip of rubber around so that they no. they, they, they. dangle and whatever. No, I, I, wa- imagine the noise I don't care. All that. I, I want- don't make the clanging.
0: I want to hear them. That's the clanging. The- Shime. The clanging is the best part. It's like a
1: doorbell that's being rung incessantly that's gone slightly wrong
0: but no but but mother nature's ringing the doorbell saying i'm still here my son i'm here for you here's some free wind to cleanse the earth and here's some free music while your back porch is having the dust blown off of it by yours truly anywho what's your what's your recommendation i'm guessing it has nothing to do with wind chimes
1: yeah i wouldn't play this outside unless you know either that your neighbors will like it or you don't care whether they like it or not the band is called cosmodrome as in the German rendition of the word Cosmodrome, K-O-S-M-O-D-R-O-M. There are several bands and songs with that name in their title, so just check that you have Cosmodrome, Germany. Uh, Working on their third album as we speak, it's uh, instrumental, quite cheery, not quite as doomy and fuzzy as I normally listen to, but great programming music. Of the psychedelic sort.
0: All right, that's so che- some cheery programming music.
1: Yeah, cheery psychedelic rock that will not make you think that you'd prefer to be listening to wind chimes.
0: That's fair, I guess. Yep not not everyone loves wind chimes. We yep. Okay, we're gonna do R T Z O no at the end of the show. Uh, let's just say sometimes you need to tone it down. If you know what I'm saying. And as we get into the headlines, we're going to talk about Apple. They have been hit by a four-fecta of zero-day exploits. We're going to talk about FluBot. It has nothing to do with the flu or the any of the goings-on in the medical community. It was just the, probably poorly named. And we're going to talk yes. about... Uh,
1: with hindsight, they could probably have chosen better. Yeah. But it's the moniker it's got, yeah. and it, it brings out some interesting advice.
0: And we're going to talk about our good friend PHP, and our bad friend supply chain attacks. But first, fun fact, during World War II, a brown bear named Wojtek served in the Polish army, eventually reaching the rank of corporal. During 1944's Battle of Monte Cassino in Italy, Wojtek earned his keep by helping move crates of ammunition a uh, couple of soldiers adopted him and needed to enlist him in order to get him rations so they could feed him. Oh, right. Yeah, I imagine you probably need quite a lot. Yep, bears eat a lot. We salute you, Wojtek. Um, speaking of tech, let's talk about Apple. Well, see what you did there. <laughs> Apple has no official update schedule, as we know. There's no monthly cadence like many other software companies. So to to patch four exploits like this, although it wouldn't be rare for other companies either to do out of band updates. This was kind of to have four in a row like this is a little bit rare for Apple, is it not?
1: I guess the deal here is that about a week ago, in fact, I think it was exactly a week ago at the time we're recording this, Apple put out updates. And of course, you know, because there's no formal schedule, they just came when they were ready. And those were kind of what you might call major subversions. So I think it was iOS 14.5 and Mac OS 11.3. And in those, there was at least one we think this is being exploited in the wild remote code execution bug fixed. And so my assumption, because I have iOS 12, which is the officially supported previous version for older iPhones, because that didn't have any fixes at that time, I thought, wow, those bugs must be new code that got into iOS 13 or later or macOS 11.3 and uh, therefore i don't need to worry but it turns out that now these bugs seem to be somehow related to the bug that was fixed a week ago in some versions of apple's operating systems that now comes to iOS iPad OS, watchOS macOS and iOS 12 They include some related bugs to what was fixed a week ago, including one of these bugs that has the dramatic uh, CVE identifier, CVE-2021-30, here it comes, 666. Mm. Now, that bug apparently is only patched in iOS 12, from which you might infer, ah, well, that means it must be old code that no longer exists in the newer versions. But who knows, because of this, of Apple's kind of what you might call conspiracy of silence around updates, is they don't tell you what's coming until it's there. They think that that stops people speculating and therefore makes you more secure. So given that last time I thought, oh, well, iOS 12 must be immune because there's a fix for iOS 14 that wasn't needed in iOS 12. Looks like actually that fix was just delayed by a week for iOS 12. Does that mean that the fix that is related to it but only is in iOS 12, that in a week's time we're going to need that fix for iOS 14? And the answer is, who can say? Except Apple, and Apple isn't saying. So I find, I find it, it's great that they're getting out these patches quickly and that the fact they did a big update a week ago doesn't stop them from doing another official update in a week's time. What, as you say, in other companies might be an out-of-band update but I am still confused and I wish I were
0: not. So what are the what are the four exploits? Apart from the fact that they're in
1: WebKit so that they can be triggered by some web browser related activity, all uh, we have are CV numbers. So I won't read them out here. Just go to nakedsecure.softs.com You can get all the details there. They're all memory or, or variable management stuff. There's a memory corruption, integer overflow, use after free buffer overflow. The usual stuff that allows some kind of booby trap web page to try and take over your browser and the important thing in this case of the four bugs patch this time is that they all have the following words in apple's official documentation for what's called impact in other words what could go wrong if somebody exploited this and the words are processing maliciously crafted web content may lead to arbitrary code execution Apple is aware of a report that this issue may have been actively exploited, which if you want to translate it into jargon, you might say, "Uh uh-oh, drive-by web-based ODE RCE, meaning someone can lure you to a website and do bad stuff to your browser and implant malware without also needing to trick you into downloading something you shouldn't, approving something you didn't intend, filling in data on a form you weren't expecting. That's the drive-by aspect. And of course, the RC or remote code execution means the crooks get to choose what happens next against your will, which loosely speaking means A, they can probably implant malware and B, they can kind of change their attack at will simply by changing what they choose to implant.
0: And so these drive-by downloads or these drive-by attacks, a web attack, you're luring someone to a website, you're saying... Run this, or click on this, or do this. These drive-by attacks, all that stuff happens automatically. So you just need to lure someone to a page, and then they get infected.
1: Yes, that's why exploits of this sort, typically on the whether it's on the underground market or in legitimate bug bounty hunting, tend to command uh, the highest sort of payment slash respect because, as you say, they are the most dangerous. If you can just lure someone to a page and while they're in what they feel is the safety of their browser, nevertheless, bad stuff happens without any obvious warning, like, are you sure, do you want to continue or whatnot? That makes them much more harmful because it means even a well-informed user could get tricked. Having said that, we know from experience that it, once you've lured someone to a web page with the right gift of the gab with the right social engineering skills, you can nevertheless frequently persuade people to do something they shouldn't. But obviously it's much easier if all you have to get do is get them to the web page, show them something, they read the content. Maybe the browser crashes, maybe it doesn't, but the person, the user, the visitor isn't aware that they actually approved anything that might later be considered dangerous. So it's comparatively less likely that they would think to go looking for something having gone wrong.
0: We'll talk about the, it's kind of a related tactic in the next story. But before we get there, we have some advice, and it's pretty straightforward.
1: Yes. Uh, if you're on an iDevice, you want to go to Settings, General Software Update. That way, if you have got the update, it will say you're up to date. If not, it will immediately say, do you want to get it? So you're not waiting in any queue for your automatic update to trigger. Uh, if you're on a Mac, it's Apple menu, system preferences, software update, same story. And just to summarize the version numbers, what you're looking for, if you're on iOS 12, you want 12.5.3. On iOS slash iPadOS 14, that's the, the version for newer devices, you want 14.5.1, which is a .1 up from last week on WatchOS 7.4.1 and on MacOS 11.3.1, which is up from the big 11.3 update that you probably got just last week and may be thinking, oh, well, Apple doesn't update that often. I can stand down from blue alert for a while. So those are the version numbers you want. And I know you're waiting for me to say it, Doug, so I will say it patch early, patch often, the slash do not delay and do it today.
0: Love it. Very alliterative. That is Apple products hit by four effective zero-day exploits. Patch now on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. This next one, Flubot. This is an interesting twist on the old SMS-based, there's something wrong with your delivery, click here and we'll steal your data scam.
1: Yes, it takes you on a slightly different journey, and one that many people might look at and go, well, that's even more suspicious. But the point is, it is different from the kind of home delivery scam that we've spoken about many times before. So everyone's learned, well, watch the SMS. Don't click the link. If you do click the link, check the site you're on. And if you've got any suspicion all don't put in your data. So these crooks have gone a little different way. When you get to the website, there's no form. There's no, Hey, we need a credit card number. There's no, you must put in your password immediately. There's none of that stuff that everyone's watching out for. It just says, Oh, by the way, to do this tracking, as with many products and services these days, you need to install our app. And there's a button you press, and that takes you to the app installation. Now, of course, uh, no, this is on Android. The app can't get into Google Play because it's malware. But these crooks, at the bottom of that web page with the button on, they've actually got instructions that are surprisingly well-written in terms of a kind of human engagement point of view. They're not overly technical. They're not your typical jargon-filled stuff. They just explain to you what you need to click to bypass the security warnings that you get by default from Android, saying you can't do that because it's not coming from Google Play. And so there's this comforting page, no forms, no put-in-your-credit-card-number, no you-must-log-in, no you-have-to-put-in-your-password-first-just-install-our-app because, hey, everyone knows that apps how you do things on mobile phones these days. And of course, you're deliberately lowering your your guard on the say-so of the crooks and you're letting the app in. It has nothing to do with the courier company. It just sits in the background doing nasty stuff, including trying to steal your banking credentials. So it doesn't need to ask you for your credit card number up front because it has plenty of time to go after it later once it's on your phone.
0: So that was a question I had is, wouldn't people normally be leery of an app that's trying to install itself as an outside APK that's not coming from the Google Play Store? You shouldn't fall for this, but
1: apparently quite a number of people have. And the reasons are either they were already open to outside apps because that's the way they like to live and they've never had any trouble before, or the crooks just managed to sweet talk them into doing it.
0: So then, in, in theory, okay, I've got this app installed. I forget about it, but it's still on my system. It's 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 on my phone. It's running. What are some of the ways that it could grab my data? Could could it you know have some sort of screen recorder that sees when I put in my credit card info and stuff like that? Or could it have stuff running underneath that's like a key logger? Or how would it how would it get the this information from people now?
1: It depends on the permissions that it got up front and what changes you may have made to its permissions thereafter in this case it seems that the main purpose of this app is to monitor what's happening uh, the websites you're visiting in the same way that a web filtering program might in order to mess with banking sites so it can add extra fields in there to capture data that you wouldn't normally put in which then goes off to the crooks instead of the bank so it waits till you go to the real bank site or a real uh, you know trustworthy website like an online shop and then it tries to winkle data out of you there while you're on the real site because they don't need to hack the site if they've already hacked your browser. But the problem is, as with a lot of malware, once malware's on your device, if it has any sort of remote control facility that allows the crooks to upload new instructions, it means that its behavior could change over time. So that's the problem with modern malware is once it's on your phone, It's very hard to go to a cybersecurity website and download definitive analysis of exactly what that malware does, full stop, end of story, no further details, because very frequently those details may change with every campaign that the crooks run, because they might repackage the malware every time, or might change because the malware might be used, ransomware crooks are past masters at this, they use one bit of malware to download the next and the next bit to download the one after that. So that's the problem is that once you've invited an unknown, untrusted app onto your phone, it could adapt its behavior in the future. And although I don't have a definitive list of everything that the Flubot crooks have done with their app so far, ripping off banking data definitely is one of those things. Sending unauthorized SMSs seems to be another And uh, what is clear, though, is the extent to which these crooks adapt and change their campaigns. So the guys in our Hungarian lab, for example, they showed me some samples of the web landing pages for people visiting from Hungary. They're in Hungarian. In Germany, they'll be in German. They swap courier companies. So, for example, the ones that I saw out of Hungary were all FedEx. The ones that were warned about in the UK by our own National cybersecurity Center, those targeted DHL. And of course, there's any number of different versions of the app that they re-roll and repurpose as they go along. So that's why sticking to controlled sources and not allowing apps from unknown sources, even in a world like Android where Google Play is not perfect, malware does get in there, as we often say, you know, more frequently than you might be comfortable with but a lot less frequently than it does into random websites that the crooks have set up specifically to act as a vector for spreading their malicious apps.
0: Yeah, and I think even just having access to SMS messages, not even being able to send them, there are millions and millions of couples out there who are texting back and forth. What's our PayPal password? What's our banking password? I forget. How do I get into the TV? Like all these passwords going back and forth over... Text all these credentials just being exchanged over text to be captured, stuff like that. Even if they yes, just... and
1: anything that anything that has, you know, if you if you give an app something like uh, accessibility access, mm-hmm. which the idea is normally you do that, like if you need a screen reader because your maybe your vision isn't that great, so you want something that can grab the current screen and maybe zoom it up or try and recognize text from it and read it out to you, whatever it is. You can see why having that feature in some apps would be a good idea, but of course that functionality can be abused by malicious apps that simply use it to take pictures of your screen at an inappropriate time so as mr miyagi famously said in the karate kid the best way to avoid punch is no be there and <laughs> so the best way to avoid malicious apps from unknown sources is to stick to known sources and then although it means you can't stop worrying about malware altogether It's a lot less worrying than if you've just got apps coming in from absolutely anywhere, particularly, as you say, given the extent to which your mobile phone is probably some kind of key to your digital life.
0: So we have some tips for the good people. Yes, they are
1: exactly what you might expect, but it's worth reminding yourself to give yourself the confidence to stick to your guns in future. So be wary of SMSs, particularly if they just arrive and particularly if they relate to things like home deliveries, because we know that this has been a goldmine for crooks because everyone's using home deliveries more than ever. Uh, Check those links ideally before you click them if you can. The good news about links in SMSs is that they're just text, so they get turned into clickable blue underlined links by the messaging app but you don't have to hover over them. The text, the, the, the URL has to be embedded in the message. So you generally get a good idea, like what you see is what you're going to get. If it looks wrong, back yourself. It's going to be wrong. Uh, the third tip, and we've mentioned this many times, is if you do get a message that says, hey, you need to click here, and the company for whom you need to click is DHL, FedEx, Royal Mail, Canada Post, whatever it might be, don't click the link figure out how to get to that company's website landing page login portal yourself because if you never actually click the link but you find your own way there it's a little bit less convenient but it's much harder for the crooks to control what you are going to type into your browser rather than when you just click it yourself and of course the tip we have already mentioned several times is stick to known sources don't go off market and learn, and it depends which version of Android you have, learn where in your Android you go to look at which apps are allowed to download and launch new apps. Ideally, you will have no apps with that privilege, particularly not browsers, because if you have once approved your browser and said, oh, I've, I use Firefox or Chrome or Edge or whatever, I want that one to be able to install untrusted, unknown apps now, and you kind of got away with it, You kind of loosen things up to shoot yourself in the foot in the future. And the last tip, and I say this even though, perhaps especially because we just happen to have such a product, consider an antivirus. I'm doing air quotes because obviously it's not just about viruses anymore. Consider a threat prevention program that not only monitors stuff that comes down onto your phone in case you inadvertently go to a genuine-looking site, but download something dodgy, um, but that doesn't look for a program that doesn't just do that, that also protects you on the way out. So if you do click a bad link, it won't let you go there in the first place. Then it doesn't matter whether the site has malware on it or not. If the site's known to be harmful, has a poor or non-existent reputation, why trust it at all?
0: All right, that is beware Flubot, the home delivery scam with a difference on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. Let's stretch our legs a little bit here now and take a break with technology etymology. Today we're talking about BASIC. If you've ever used one of the many flavors of the popular programming language, you may know that it stands for Beginner's All-Purpose Symbolic Instruction Code. The first version was released at Dartmouth College in 1964 with the goal of being easy enough for non-math and non-science majors to use. Paul, what was the first programming language you used? Actually, this
1: will sound peculiar, because it is. It was just because I didn't have access to BASIC. It was actually FORTRAN. Hmm. FORTRAN apparently stands for Formula Translation, and that was a way of writing sort of mathematical formulas as programs. It was not as much fun as BASIC because of its background but it was possible to write funky number crunching software for example to plot mathematical functions but it wasn't quite the first language you would choose if your goal was to write yourself a video game which is what I did do when I finally got my hands on basic and then once you've done basic of course you want to learn assembler because an assembler you could squeeze things into tiny little spaces and they ran much faster and it was kind of a rite of passage because one small mistake could make your basic program work badly but one tiny mistake in an assembler program and it was reboot and reload everything from tape 15 minutes
0: oh the worst load error i learned on pascal and uh i did did not find it i did a fair bit of pascal my time the
1: the the thing with Pascal when I learned it it, it I, I I really wanted to learn C instead mm-hmm. but the place where I was learning it that the, the, there was a Pascal compiler existed and a C compiler didn't so I was sort of forced to learn Pascal but I was, oh I want I want all the I want all the neo assembler danger of C <laughs> and then shortly after that I got my hands on a onto a Unix system where I could go and knock myself out literally and figuratively using C.
0: Well, that's a good segue into our next programming language, PHP. This
1: uh, Ooh.
0: Community yep. Sidesteps. I it's, this is its third supply chain attack in three years. So what's going on here?
1: Well, the third one that we know of, there may be more. Yeah. yeah the, uh, the good news is this was a legitimate security researchers doing responsible disclosure. So it's not like that Linux buffoonery that we spoke about uh, last week, I mm. think, yep. where the guy said, Hey, let's see if we can sneak bugs into the kernel without anyone noticing, so we can write a paper about how we snuck bugs into the kernel without anyone noticing, much to the ire of the Linux community. In this case, uh, the researchers were actually looking for potential problems, not in the PHP language itself or in the PHP repository where the PHP source code was stored, which was what we spoke about in the last PHP supply chain attack. As you remember, that was where somebody actually managed to commit code into the PHP repository just for a few hours that could have given them a way to make a web request with a browser and trick your server into running a command. This attack was more against the ecosystem So PHP has a package manager program called Composer and it has its own, uh, if you like, uh, package repository. As I understand it, it's the leading PHP, here's the code you need so you don't have to write it yourself repository. It's called Packagist. These researchers realized that they could upload and anybody can create an account and upload a package to Packagist. So you could create a malicious package and upload it and then persuade people to download it, and you would have malware on their system. That's a supply chain attack common to anywhere that allows you know, public access to a repository. And it's there's a sense of caveat emptor or caveat utilitor. If you're going to download a package with no reputation from someone you've never heard of, well, be careful. Have a look through the code before you use it, because it could be full of booby traps. But in this case, what the researchers are worried about is, is there a way they could create a new package that didn't matter what was in the package itself? So they could actually have a package that when you later downloaded it would look completely decent, completely reasonable, completely useful. Is there a way they could booby trap the actual package upload process so that when the Packagist server processed this new package to see whether it was going to include it in the set of packages in the repository that some external malicious command would happen that could actually infect the server rather than merely affecting a package that might later get downloaded. And sadly, they were able to find a way to do that. And we wrote about a similar thing, which was a few years ago. That was three years ago, uh, a packagist problem where a researcher figured out How they could they could supply a URL that effectively was a bash shell command rather than a URL and the packagist server would run the command. That bug was fixed by validating the input a little more carefully. So the researchers this time they weren't able to repeat that. So it looks as though that fix that was done three years ago still works well. But they found another way of tricking the server using command line options that they submitted to various package fetch commands whereby they could trick the server without embedding the command in the url itself they found another place to put it sneaking it into the command as a hidden command line option when the packageist server just went to check out your package to download it prior to putting it into the repository it would run a command that they had predecided and the great news is that they reported this to the PHP folks, to the Composer slash Packages folks, and within 12 hours a hot fix was out, and within five days the bug was fixed.
0: Yeah, this, so as you say in the article, like this could have been bad. So the, the uploads wouldn't just passively affect Packagist and thereby potentially That's some right. users, it would infect Packagist itself and possibly all its users.
1: Or at least it would infect the server. In other words, rather than the package manager being convinced to take your rogue package and offer it up, if you like, for sale to other people, which would be bad enough, Mm -hmm. it would actually the act of getting your package to build it into the set of known packages would actively run a malicious command on the server, even if the package that was then installed was 100% fine. Yeah. So it's a little bit like, imagine that you figure out how to bypass Google Play's protection, and you figure out how to upload your latest fleeceware or spyware or scamware into Google Play. Now, that's bad, Mm -hmm. and it shouldn't happen, and Google does try to avoid it happening, but if it does happen, only the people who download that package will ever be affected. Mm -hmm. Uploading the poison package to Google Play, for example, it doesn't compromise Google Play itself. And it doesn't allow that package as malicious as it might be sitting on the server to reach out and have an affect on other applications, packages on the server. But in this case, it was a little bit different. It was the act of pre-processing the package that had been booby trapped. So it was just the creating of the package on the server that caused the server to run remote code rather than that. Hey, the server was willing to host stuff that was of unknown reputation. Anyway, it it wasn't an actual attack. It wasn't someone trying to prove a point and do something bad. It was researchers looking to see if there was a, a hole to follow up on the one I spoke about before. They found it. It was quickly fixed. Problem solved. So a good advert for the whole rapid response part of responsible disclosure.
0: Great. And so what what could people do? Make sure you're using the latest version of Composer? That's right. My
1: understanding is there are two supported versions of Composer, imaginatively version 1 and version 2. So you want 1.10.22 or later if you're on the version 1 train or 2.0.13 or later if you're on the version 2 train because those are the versions in which this particular problem was fixed. The other side of that is if you are a web programmer and you are building a web backend that can be spoken to and issued instructions by untrusted outsiders, make sure that you are really, 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 really careful about sanitizing the input you get from untrusted users that might be able to trick you into running commands where you're supposed to be processing data. Imagine that you have something that says, oh, I'll run this command on behalf of an untrusted user. I will carefully control the URL so they can't sneak a command in the URL. Make sure that there isn't somewhere else in this command that you're going to run for them, that they can sneak something that could cause you to run a program that you did not intend. And this kind of uh, command line or input sanitization is really, really important. It's also very hard to do well. So don't just assume because you've done it that it'll work. Make sure you've got good test cases that go out of their way to think like an attacker and make sure that you are not vulnerable. Uh, Don't just take anything for granted.
0: PHP community sidesteps its third supply chain attack in three years. That's on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And is that time of the show our favorite time? It's the Ono no of the week. Oh, no. Oh, yes. This one comes to us courtesy of BotHunter on Reddit, who writes, I was working for a training and consulting company that had a printer, which was under a service contract. We used it to print out big, thick manuals for our students. The problem was that the company was on an island, reachable only by ferry, which occasionally meant that we would have to wait a day to get the technician out. Usually, this wasn't a problem. Then one day, we needed to print a ton of books. We had waited until the last minute to print them, and partway through the process, the printer simply stopped printing with an error that said the spent toner bin was full. You can see where this is going. Now this was some- Oh, yes.
1: <laughs> I bet you I know what's happening.
0: Now, this was something the technician normally handled before it even became an issue. But the technician was late, despite my pleas to not touch the printer and wait until the technician came out. One of my coworkers, who was under intense pressure to get these manuals printed out that day, had an idea.
1: Let me guess. How hard can it be to empty a waste paper basket?
0: Exactly. She could see where the bin was, and she decided to try and empty it with a vacuum cleaner. As a reminder, toner is basically a very fine powder of plastic, which is supposed to be melted or fused to the paper. So when she vacuumed up the toner... (laughs) most of it went straight through the filter and the bag, (laughs) hit the hot motor and was blasted onto the wall behind her, where it then fused to the paint. They ended up having to repaint the whole room to clean up that little disaster. They since purchased a second printer and stepped up their contract to have the printers serviced on a more frequent schedule to avoid making that mistake again.
1: Oh boy.
0: Ought To have been a fly on uh, an opposite wall in that room, but a fly on the wall nonetheless to see.
1: Or maybe maybe just watching via a security camera. Yeah, with, so you didn't get sprayed with that dust. With
0: goggles on, you don't want to mess with toner.
1: Getting that stuff off—it's
0: like glitter. It just keeps turning up everywhere. It just—it's everywhere. Just keep finding it.
1: To say that it is fine is unfair to things that are fine.
0: Yeah, that's got to be a new vacuum cleaner too. Also, right? You gotta—you can't just use that vacuum cleaner again.
1: I mean, you'd never get the dust out. Yeah, right? well, it's not really dust.
0: It's like visible particulates. Yeah, be careful, folks.
1: It's like the old days, you know, replacing those old fluorescent light tubes. They were, they were okay to remove yourself, but you need to take great care in how you dispose of them, because I don't know if you've ever accidentally broken one of those.
0: Uh, we did. I was working at Best Buy. It was two idiots in high school working in the warehouse, and one of the idiots dropped the, uh, it might have been me. Did I do it? The other guy had the sense to be like, we got to get out of here. And I, did. I was like, I don't know. What's, what's going on? He's like, you can't breathe that stuff in. We're going to die. So got to go home early that night. <laughs> did they dock your pay? Oh, yes, they did. <laughs> so it was you, Doug, or did you both have to pay? His name was Warren. Yeah, Warren was mad about it. Yeah, so it must have been me. Yeah, because we got sent home early, and you don't get paid if you get sent home early. Yeah. Oh, Sorry, Warren. Dear. Hope you're doing well, buddy. If you've got an oh-no of your own that you'd like to send in to us, please do so. You can hit us up at Naked Security. Leave an anonymous comment. You can email us at tips at com. You can track down Kim on Reddit. Her Reddit username is oh no, it's Kim. Or find us on any of our social media channels at Naked Security. And if you are feeling so inclined, please do leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We would really appreciate it. It helps the show. If you want to support the show, please do so. And on behalf of Paul Ducklin, I'm Doug Ameth, reminding you until next time, stay Stay secure. secure. Sorry, Warren.